We acknowledge the Aboriginal people of Victoria, the First Nations, and offer respects to Elders, both past and present. Welcome to a new podcast series for carers by Kinship Carers Victoria. All carers and children's names have been changed to protect their privacy. The demands of being a kinship carer can be high, with so much of a carer's focus placed on caring for a vulnerable child or young person. It's all too easy for carers to put aside their own needs. Apart from the daily physical demands of the role, there can be significant emotional issues that may add to the pressures carers face. We spoke with two carers, Joe and Isabel, who suddenly found themselves caring for young children. Isabel, tell us about how you first became a carer and what impacts it had on your life and well-being. I was 53. I um, just gave up work. I just got divorced. I just bought a townhouse and I'd planned a trip to Paris for myself. I was going to go for six weeks. I had the tickets all paid for and a week before that happened, that's when the police knocked on the door. So I cancelled, lost money and that's when my kinship journey began. I got a five months old at 10 o'clock at night and then at five o'clock in the morning, I got her half-sister and she was 14 months old. There's 52 weeks in a year. I went to court 50 times in one year. In the early days, it was pretty, pretty hard. Do you think you suffered from burnout? I virtually had no sleep for two years. Totally, totally burnt out. I knew from the start something was different, not that you wanted to label any child, but definitely with Rose, knew something was going not right with her. And I had to seek out a lot of help, got a lot of wrong answers. And even now we're nearly 13, I'm still, um, advocating for her. How do you manage the stress and pressures? You have your ups and downs. Things go okay for a while and then the roller coaster goes down. And I've just seek out more help. And for me to keep me sane, I I'm pretty good on self-care. My hair, I go to the hairdressers every week to have a um, wash and blow wave. And then every 10 weeks I get the color. I have my nails done. Um, and I could have, I can go in either the hairdressing salon or the nail salon and I could feel really, really miserable. But by the time I've come out, I'm on top of the world and I start all over again. And that's the honest truth that's what's kept me going. Jo, were your experiences similar? Yeah, we have our granddaughter. She's almost 11. And um, we've had her 
in our care now for five and a half years. Yeah, so one Friday, yeah, we got a phone call from DHHS to see if we were her grandparents. And of course he said yes. We hadn't seen her for three years. And um, anyway, they said, oh, could we look after her for the weekend? So it was a very long, been a long weekend, <laughs> very long weekend. But anyway, yeah, we got through um, that weekend and then it had to go to sort of court on the Monday and uh, and then it was just, from there, it was a, a merry-go-round. Uh, yeah, it was just a nightmare. There wasn't very many days where I wasn't in tears. When you've never been through that situation you don't know what it's like you've got no idea and you never ever dreamed that you would ever be in that situation either did you ask for help we've joined the organization um, called bethany and they have support groups they were amazing because they sort of helped us get through and process um, what we were going through you know dhs or they're all they're worried about is getting the parent and the child back together. How do you manage the stress and pressures? Well, just maybe to make sure that you have a little bit of time out where, you know, you might just go away and do your own thing, just half an hour, 10 minutes, just do something that, that you really like to do, whether it be to listen to music or um, play with the dog, because we have a beautiful dog and um, we're a lot older now, so it's a lot more difficult you know when times when you might just sort of want to sit down and have a little rest um and then you know um, they'll come up and sort of want to be cuddle or whatever and all you want to do is just sit and have a rest for a minute because <laughs> you've been on the go all day but um when i say all that like we are very lucky because she's an amazing little girl yeah she's very very special to us as well we also spoke with psychologist, lecturer and researcher, Dr Melissa Weinberg, an honorary fellow from the Department of Psychology at Deakin University, with expertise in the science of wellbeing and resilience. Melissa discussed the need for carers to monitor their own physical and emotional state and needs. What are some of the signs of burnout carers should look for? So it's important, I think, that we distinguish burnout from stress because these terms are often used interchangeably, interchangeably, but there's a little bit of a difference. So while stress is a fairly common experience and most people will experience, you know, fluctuating levels of stress throughout the day, most of us will have adequate coping resources to be able to manage the demands on our time and, and effectively negotiate those feelings of stress. But if we don't give our brains or our bodies a chance to switch off from that stress, then our brains will decide to switch off on its own accord. And so that often results in a sense of like a loss of concentration, perhaps at times when we're trying to focus on something, but we're not able to. Um, it might be, it's typically described as a more emotional, more of an emotional uh, consequence of, of prolonged stress. So a feeling of of sort of disengagement from activities, not a sense of sort of sense of dread, I guess, um, and not wanting to go to work, not wanting to, you know, to, to undergo usual activities. So the difference, I guess, the key way to distinguish it from stress is that where stress often uh, leads to an increase in activity, burnout typically leads to a decrease in activity and decrease in energy. 
How can carers recognise where their stress or anxiety levels are at? So look, usually people are in the best position to self-describe their levels of stress and anxiety. So one way to do it might be to, you know, look back at the end of the day, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, how stressed did I feel today or how anxious did I feel today? And checking in with yourself like that and giving yourself a rating is a good way to just keep a sort of an ongoing monitor uh, of where your stress and anxiety levels are at. It's important to recognise that some level of stress and anxiety, as I said earlier, is is normal and is common um, and is expected. So, you know, if you're saying that you're, you know, four or five, you know, on your on your self-rating scale most days, um, then that's probably okay. But what you're looking for is sort of um, key increases in that. So anything probably above a seven or an eight, I think should warrant attention. But if you're at a four or five over time, um, I'd encourage people to to look at ways that they can maybe reduce that those levels. And it doesn't have to be to eliminate them entirely, but maybe if you're a five, thinking about what can you do to get down to, to a four or a three on, uh, on that scale. So that would be a way to self-report. Um, but other things to notice, I guess, there are some physical symptoms of stress and anxiety. So it might be that the stress manifests in terms of headaches. So we often carry tension in our shoulders um, and our neck, and that can lead to headaches, stress-induced headaches. Might be stomach aches for some people as well, depending on where they carry the stress. People might notice things if they're anxious, like having a, like constantly having a dry mouth or, um, or shakiness in the hands, or it might be that because their immune system is under, um, is under a lot of pressure, they might find that they're getting sick. Uh, more often than not so there's those physical signs um, there's some behavioral signs as well so feeling more angry is a is a, a common one um, and sort of more irritable or intolerant than usual and if you're not able to recognize those signs in yourself then somebody around you is probably going to be able to let you know that you're being a bit more grumpy than usual so um, so those sorts of things are things to look out for. What are some of the best ways carers can deal with their stress and anxiety? Yeah, so in terms of managing stress and anxiety, I guess I would always go back to sort of the basics just just to start with. So the keys for me are making sure that you get good quality and good quantity sleep. And we've talked about sleep in a, in a previous podcast and the importance of that. Um, sleep is one of the most important things that you can do for your general well-being and usually the first thing the first thing that goes when you're when you're feeling more stressed or anxious than usual. So getting on top of that is a good place to start. It's also important that people, um, carers and people in general, uh, manage their diet. And that goes from everything from when you're stressed and you know sometimes you forget to eat to just making sure that you're you know, you know if you're caring for somebody else, usually part of your job is making sure that they eat. But it's important to make sure that you eat as well. I'm not, I'm not even talking about eating well. I'm just talking about eating full stop um, because when, when people are stressed, they tend to lose their appetite. So sleeping well, eating well, um, and making sure that you're getting some exercise as well. And nobody needs to run a marathon here, but just even going for, you know, for a walk outside for 20 minutes or, um, you know, a light walk even, just some movement is is really key. And I might, they're, they're sort of usually the, the three keys that I go to, the, the sort of sleep, diet and exercise, but I might throw in as a um, as an extra um, social support. So making sure that there's time for social support. And that's very different to being, Social support is not just being around other people because if you're a carer, you're usually in the presence of somebody else. Um, but that if you're the one giving care, 
um, and you're not getting sort of the, the support in return, then it's really important that we have uh, avenues for social support uh, to help manage the emotional toll of being a carer. Each individual carer is best placed to know what makes them feel better emotionally, physically and mentally. Whilst there are many tools and practices carers can use to help them care for themselves, one of the simplest and most effective is a self-care plan. A self-care plan is an intervention tool filled with a person's favourite self-care activities. Self-care activities can be physical, psychological, emotional and spiritual. The plan may also include support from a professional practitioner. Melissa, how important is it for carers to have a self-care plan? Look, I think it's really important for carers to have a self-care plan and I feel like this is something that, you know, from, from some of the work that I've done with clients who are carers, it's so it's so easy for them sometimes and so natural for them to care for somebody else, but it almost seems so foreign for them to sort of flip that on themselves and, and look after themselves. So even thinking about, you know, what is it that you as a carer do for the, the person that you're caring for and what do you actually need in return because... You've got to manage your own, um, you know, your own well-being in order to be in the best position to provide adequate care to, to the person that you're giving it to. So um, I think it's important that there is, that, that there is time that is made that uh, carers are able to set some boundaries so that they have some time where they're not, you know, constantly in demand. Um, and have some time to focus on themselves. I really think that's key and I don't think it's reasonable to expect that you're able to give the best of yourself if you're not giving yourself a chance. And what sorts of tools or practices are important to include when putting together a self-care plan? If you are creating a self-care plan, then it's a good idea to have somebody else look over it to see if it's actually realistic and, to, you know, to sort of give a, um, to play maybe a devil's advocate and say, you know, what, I think this is a bit too much for you. Or I don't know that you'll be able to do all of this. Um, so that's that's sort of one way. Um, I guess I'm thinking as well that something really important when it comes you know, to burnout is this idea of boundaries and being able to switch off. So being able to have, and that's why I was talking about having set times for things, because it's really important that as much as, you know, a carer, you know, almost like in any other role, you need to have time where you can separate between a personal and professional life. And I think those boundaries often get very blurred um, when you're a carer, especially if you're caring for somebody who is a, a close a close relative, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a job, um, but it's very, very personal. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's not the sort of job where you typically will get, will get paid um, or recompensed in any way for the, um, you know, for the effort, the amount of effort that you're putting in. So the, the ability to set some boundaries, I think, is, is a really important uh, step to, to trying to avoid burnout and to take some control over, over your life as well. Because in, in ordinary workplace situations, one of the ways that they say, you know, helps to prevent burnout is if the employee feels like they've got a sense of agency or control over their work or some autonomy and that could be very hard when you're caring for somebody and what you're really trying to do often in the caring role is give that person a sense of independence and give that person a sense of autonomy so it's important that there are uh, strategies I guess and there's time specific time for you as a carer um, to give yourself a sense of control over your world. One of the things that carers usually have in abundance is compassion. So recognising that having compassion is a strength and it's something that they can actually leverage, but they need to learn maybe how to flip it back onto themselves and, and engage in some sort of kindness and, um, and 
non-judgmental observation of themselves and you know a good strategy for that is to pat yourself on the back at the end of every day you know and just go you know what I, I did a good job today I did enough um, I might it might not have been perfect and I might have got some things wrong but you know I, I did the best I could do and I did enough. Any carers experiencing stress, psychological or emotional distress or problems with their physical health and well-being should consider contacting their GP and can also contact Kinship Carers Victoria or check the support section on the updated KCV website, kinshipcarersvictoria.org. This podcast series is made possible through funding provided by the Victorian Government's Department of Health and Human Services.